You can be seated. Well, good morning. Well, what makes it a good morning? Coffee? What makes it a good morning? We are God's people gathering together to worship God, sing praises to Him. We're here to hear His Word. We're here to study His Word. We're here to, you know, like we, we could pray, God, bring your presence. We, we've, I've said that. We've probably heard it said. We've maybe even said it ourselves. God, come here and meet us here. The thing is, is God's already been here. We're actually coming into His presence. And not because we're in a special room, but because we are God's people gathered together to worship together, to hear Him, and to understand Him, know Him better, and to hear his salvation and his truth through his word. So this is, this is, growing up, I always thought this was the boring part of the service. My dad was my pastor. Um, so I guess I could say that, right? Um, but my hope is that this is a chance for us as God's people, as we read through the book of 1 Samuel, that we are getting into God's word together. So first, first uh, item of business is that if you don't have your Bible or your Bible app with you, I highly recommend that you bring it because we're just going to have one or two verses read up front um, before we get into it. And we're going to sometimes be reading through two chapters. And I mean, I love Luke and everything, but nobody wants to hear him. For, actually, nobody wants to hear me for two chapters either, but that's, you know, just the way it goes. Um, we're going to be digging into chapter after chapter and a lot of reading. Um, there are Bibles in front of you that if you don't own one, um, you can take one of those. If you want one that's a more of a study Bible, you can come and talk to me afterwards. I got free ones that I can give to you. It costs nothing. Um, and, uh, and so we want, I want us to be able to get into God's Word together, whether that's through paper or that's through an app. And this is really important, too. If you do have paper Bibles, don't be afraid to write in them. Uh, if you're going to take the Bible in front of you, go ahead and write that. If not, don't write in it if you're going to put it back, just for other people too, right? So um, we want to get into God's Word. We want to read it together. Um, I'm using the English Standard Version. That's what I usually preach, which is similar to the NIV. But this is a chance for us to really dig into this chapter, especially today. There is so much in this chapter. Like, I struggled I could preach for an hour on this passage, and we could have conversation one-on-one -on -one for two hours on this, on this chapter, because um, it is so chock-full of such really good things. So, so what, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to basically walk through the chapter. There's three sections to it that we're going to talk about, read, and then talk about each section at a time, and then we're going to jump into, like, what are the implications or the application? What is this? What, what is this saying to God's people? What does it reveal about him? And what is it saying to us today? So the last verse, we're bringing this into context, this whole book into context, if you remember from last week, the last verse of the book of Judges sums up the spiritual, not the political state of Israel, the spiritual state of Israel at the time of Samuel's birth. In those days... There, were no, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's Judges 21-25. There is a growing anticipation for the descendants of Eve to come and restore and redeem God's people 
to God, but there was no king. There was no godly leader in Israel, and so everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In the middle of this spiritually dry atmosphere appears Hannah. She is one of two wives to a man named Elkanah. He's an Ephrathite. And what is the significance of that? There is no significance, other than the fact that that's what's the signif- so significant about it. Hannah is a seemingly unremarkable woman married to an ordinary Israelite man who has an ordinary life, which is exactly when we should expect God to do something extraordinary. So if we think we have a boring life, that's probably when God's going to start working, <laughs> and he's going to do something crazy, and he does do something crazy. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to read verses 3 through 8. Now this man, that is Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went up, so it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to, prov- she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? So Hannah has two afflictions. She has her rival, Penina, and her inability to have children. And we can understand Hannah's situation if we've ever had someone constantly reminding us of a failure or an inability in our life. Penina continued to provoke or continuously provoked Hannah, bringing Hannah to bitter tears and refusing to eat. In other words, Hannah was in a constant state of mourning. The children that she desired, she was not receiving. Children were a blessing from Yahweh, a mark to everyone that he had not forgotten her as a woman. And the inability to bear children was a sign of God's curse. But as always, God uses crazy situations, situations specifically like this. The Bible has many women who were unable to bear children, who were under the curse of God, and yet were used by Yahweh in mighty ways to move his plan forward. And again, this is exactly what we should expect from God. Because he uses the unexpected so that in the end, he's given the glory. Why did he choose Israel out of all the nations of the earth? Because they were the weakest, the smallest, and the most rebellious, basically. And if he saves them, who's given the glory? Not Israel. They had no army, they weren't strong, they were slaves. And yet God saved them. So who would God use here but a woman who's barren, a woman who has no children, who is under the curse of God? 
he uses the unexpected so that in the end he is given the glory and not the individual who he's working through. And before we make any excuses about the reason that Hannah can't have children, it's actually given to us. Like we like to say, well, okay, so what medically was wrong with Hannah? You know, what, why was she not able to have, there must have been something going on. But the real reason is actually given to us twice. Elkanah loved her and gives her a double portion to sacrifice, quote, though the Lord, Yahweh, had closed her womb, while her rival, Penina, provoked her because, quote, the Lord had closed her womb. Hannah was unable to bear children because Yahweh had decreed it. We have the privilege to see the reason for her affliction, but Hannah doesn't have that. She doesn't have that ability. She has to live it out in real time, day by day, hour by hour, in grievous affliction, constantly mourning. But Hannah knows who to turn to in times like this. She turns to Yahweh and makes a very, very personal request of God. And this is uh, chapter 1, verse 9 through 18. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. That is the tabernacle because the temple hadn't been built yet. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Very observant high priest, right? But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away, went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. This is a very personal prayer for Hannah. Hannah doesn't go through the high priest Eli. Did you notice that? She goes directly to Yahweh. She speaks to him in the same way that we as God's people should pray today, confidently approaching the throne of glory. And it's also a very specific prayer. Give to your servant a son, it says in verse 11. She doesn't ask Yahweh to remove her rival. Okay, I've done that. God, get, get rid of this person over here, please. It'll be so much easier. I, she didn't pray that. Remove Penina. No, she doesn't make a general statement of, Lord, whatever you, my affliction is, may you please remove it. She says, look at my affliction and give me a son. Look at my mourning and give me a son. Give me a child. It is so personal. And from the depth of her being, 
that Eli thinks she's drunk. But when Hannah tells him that she's praying out of her great anxiety and vexation, Eli sends her off with a blessing of peace and encouragement that Yahweh has heard her request, which he has, and he will answer her prayer. There are two answers to Hannah's prayer. First, there is an immediate peace that comes to her. I don't know if you noticed that. Verse 18, then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. There was no indication that Yahweh was going to answer her her request for a son, and yet her state of mourning was over. She woke up the next morning, she worshipped Yahweh with the rest of the family, and then she went back home. Life went on as normal. Penina was still there. She was still aggravating Hannah, reminding her of her failure to be able to have children. But the next time that Elkanah and Hannah came together, she finally became pregnant. And her request was answered. Now, if at this point we begin to apply this to our own life, we might say something like, well, then I need to be faithful and specific in my prayer requests to God, and He'll hear me and He'll answer. He'll give me what I want. In a sense, that is true, but that application actually isn't what the text is trying to say. It's not a, oh, how should I pray in order to God, have God answer my prayer? That's not the point. You see, our first question, if we're going to apply this to our life, the very first question over any scripture passage that we read has to be, what does this passage teach us about the character of God? Remember I said this before, the Bible is not about me. I mean, it is in one sense, but the ultimate purpose of the Bible is to to show and reveal the character of God to us as his people. So if we immediately jump to, what does this mean to me? We've totally missed the whole fact of, what does it say about God? If then it's all about me, well, what can I learn from this? Well, I've got to change the way I pray. Maybe I need to say Yahweh instead of God or Lord. or I just need to be more fervent. Or I need to act like a drunk person in order for God to hear me. Like, you see how extreme it can get? It becomes about us and what I can do instead of who is God and what does He do? So that's the first question. The second one that we need to ask is, what is God teaching those people and in this passage? Those that this book or this, this verse is written to, what is he trying to tell them? What is he trying to tell Hannah and ultimately the people of Israel through what he's about to do through Hannah's life? And then finally then, how does this revelation of God's character and the purposes of how God is teaching his people, how does that affect my view of an obedience to God? See how that, that where it's about God, and then it's about what's in general is he teaching, and then we talk about what does it mean to me? If we skip those first two questions, it may be true, it may not be true, the lesson that we want to learn in a passage. But ultimately, you're going to be left wanting because what that does is it creates moralism. It means, what do I have to do then to make God happy? The answer to that ultimately, and we'll get there, is there's nothing you can do to make God happy. For your salvation, there's nothing that we can do to please God. And so we have to learn, what does this say about God? What does this say to, the, to Hannah? 
And then what does this say to us ultimately? So what does this teach us about God? First of all, that Hannah knows Yahweh. Hannah knows exactly to whom she is praying. She calls him the Lord of hosts or Yahweh Almighty or Lord of the heavenly armies. This points to Yahweh's character and being. He is not some mystical deity. He is the I am, the one who exists in and of himself. He needs nothing and no one to make him any greater because he's already the greatest of all. He is the Lord. He is the ruler. He's the king of the universe. He is the cosmic ruler over all creation. There is nothing which passes that does not happen by his decree and by his providence. As the late R.C. Sproul correctly put it this way, if there is one maverick molecule in all of the universe, then God is not sovereign. And if God is not sovereign, then God is not God. Hannah knows that Yahweh is Lord of all creation. And so she goes right to the source of power, directly to the bringer of life. Hannah also cries out to Yahweh. Not a crying and a wailing for all to hear and to see, but a crying out from the depth of her soul. She doesn't, she doesn't mince words with, with him. She doesn't dress up her prayer request a lot. A lot of fancy words or theological terms. She cries out, see the affliction of your servant. See my pain, Yahweh. And give me a son to relieve me of this curse. Yahweh already knows her pain. And yet her lament is clear and straightforward. She knows that only Yahweh and his great power can relieve her. And as much as Elkanah tried... Aren't I more to you than 10 sons? Yeah, not the best way to start things off with, you know, have a conversation with your wife, husbands. It's just, aren't I good enough for you? Well, no, obviously. I'm sorry. That's not how it is. Elkanah cannot relieve Hannah of this curse, of this affliction. In fact, part of the problem is Penina, who Elkanah married. So in a sense, Elkanah is part of the problem. He can't be a part of the solution. She goes directly to God. Yahweh is knowable. Yahweh is knowable. After being accused of drunkenness, Hannah says, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. Now you kind of go like, okay, so what does this mean? What what does it mean, a worthless woman? If if we actually look at the reference, this is the the really good thing about um, study Bibles. Um, if you look, usually down at the bottom or on the side or in the center, there's little verses like referenced in the middle. There's a little letter like an R and then you go to that verse in the reference and it shows other references perfectly. If you, if it, it helps us to understand difficult passages. And you go, well, what is a worthless woman? Well, don't put your own definition into it. What does the Bible say is a worthless woman? And in the references here, for worthless woman, it sends us actually to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, which reads, Now the sons of Eli, these are the priests of Israel, were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Hannah is telling Eli, Don't call me a worthless woman. 
I'm not because I know Yahweh. He's the one that I'm praying to. He's the one to whom I make my requests. I am his child and I know him. And because I know him, I know he hears me. Yahweh is a knowable God. Unlike the pagan gods who were far off and distant, who you had to try to appease as much as you can, God is knowable. He's personal. And so what's the message to the people of Israel? What's the message to Hannah or to Eli and even to us today? today? Not just that Yahweh is knowable, that God is a knowable God, but that Yahweh remembers Hannah. In her request, Hannah asked Yahweh to look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not to forget your servant. And then later, we're told that the Lord remembered her. To be remembered is to be made known, to be professed about, to be praised, to be honored. It wasn't that Yahweh remembered her prayer as if to say, oh, Elkanah and Hannah are together. I guess I, guess I remember her prayer from back then. I guess now is a good time, as good as any to answer it, right? I guess I forgot about that prayer for a second. Oh, I remembered. No, that's not how God works. To be remembered, or for God to remember Hannah, is to honor Hannah. We see this same honoring in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, in regards to Rachel. Rachel was in, had the inability to have another child, and she prayed to God. She became pregnant, and then she says this, then God remembered Rachel, or it says this, then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. God remembered Rachel. He honored her, and from his honoring of Rachel came a son named Joseph, the one who saved Yahweh's people from destruction by a famine. Okay, I don't know about you, this is about the time I geeked out reading this, because Yahweh's honoring of Hannah brings about Israel's last judge, Samuel, to lead Yahweh's people and anoint the long-awaited king who would save his people. I, I, maybe I'm just weird. I'm geeking out right now. I'm getting like, like goosebumps because this is how God works. We read these stories and we go, oh, that's nice. Rachel had a baby. Yay. It's like, oh no. Joseph is anticipating Samuel. Samuel points back to Joseph. Hannah points back to Rachel and what did God do? He brought about the man who would save his people. Okay, you know where I'm going with this, right? (laughs) You know where this is heading, right? So Yahweh remembers Hannah, and then Hannah, what does she do? Okay, what would you do? You, let's just imagine, okay, you have a baby. Man, you can just imagine this, okay? You have a baby. It's a long-awaited one. What are you going to do? You're going to grab this baby and you're going to hold it up in front of Panani's face and go, nah, 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 there's nothing you can say anymore, right? That's what I would do. That's what was our, like our natural reaction, like, ha, ha, ha. That's not what Hannah does. That's not what she does. She responds 
totally different than we would ever expect. She honors her own, her own words in her request. So this is, this is um, verse 21 through 28, uh, 28. The man Elkanah and all his household went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vows. So this is after, um, I, I skipped 19 and 20 by accident, okay? So we're, just, we're not going to go back. You can read those two verses yourself. But that's where she gets pregnant. She has Samuel. Okay, and she names him Samuel. I've asked, I asked for him from the Lord. So the next year, they go to offer the yearly sacrifices like they have been doing year after year after year. But Hannah, verse 22, did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, that's about three years usually, I will bring him so that he may, that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever for the rest of his life. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. That's a much better response, by the way. Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord, Yahweh, establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. So these sacrifices she brings are above and beyond the actual requirement of what she's supposed to bring with her. Verse 25, then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh my Lord, that is to Eli. So Lord here is sign of honor. It's like, sir, sir, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, because of this, I have lent him to the Lord. Lent is to give back. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he, Samuel, worshiped the Lord there. If Yahweh were to give her a son... She says, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. This was not an attempted bargain by Hannah, and if you give me this, then I will give you that kind of, kind of deal. That's how the pagans worked. I will give you a sacrifice in order for you to bless me. That's not what Hannah did, and that's not how Yahweh works. What Hannah is saying here is, if you see my affliction and pain, if you remember me, if you are to honor me and give me a son, I will give him back to you to serve you for all the days of his life. She doesn't ask for more children. Did you, did you see that? She asks for one. She asks for a son. And then Yahweh answers her request. She honors and glorifies Yahweh by giving back to him the first fruits of her womb. She is giving back to Yahweh what was given by Yahweh. To have a son removed her affliction of barrenness and silenced her rival. To give that same son back to the one who gave him was to bring glory, praise, and honor to Yahweh. 
So Hannah gives her one and only son to serve God for all of his life. Where's the gospel in this? Well, man, I hope you hear it and I hope you see it through this whole story. Again, geeking out, man. This is a, this is a technical term called a typology. A, a typology is in the Bible is a representation of an actual historical reference or person. Okay, so this is, you may have heard things like, well, he's a type of Christ. So in this case, there is a lot of parallels between Hannah and the Exodus. Just as Hannah mourned because of her affliction, her barrenness, so the people of Israel groaned and mourned about their affliction, slavery. And as, just as Hannah cried out to Yahweh to end her barrenness, so the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh to end their slavery. Just as Yahweh looked upon Hannah's suffering and remembered her, so Yahweh looked upon the suffering of Israel and remembered his covenant to them, that he would bring them back into the land of Canaan. Just as Yahweh brought about a son, Samuel, to lead his people as judge, so he brought about a son, Moses, to lead his people as judge. And so Hannah is a type of Israel. She's a representative. She's a like Israel to point the people of Israel in Hannah's time to remember the Exodus. They're hurting. They're, they're, when, is this, when is this God go, or this, this Savior going to come? When is this Messiah going to come? Where is God in the midst of this? Everybody's doing their own thing. They're doing what is right in their own eyes. And God is reminding them, do you not remember what I did in, the, in Exodus? You were nothing. And I brought Moses to lead you out, to save you, to bring you into the promised land. I have not forgotten my covenant with you. I have not forgotten you. There is a huge connection between Hannah and Israel, Samuel and Moses, and Mary and Jesus. Through Mary... I'm, I'm not making a leap here, okay? This is like 2,000 years worth of study in the church. Through Mary, a woman who was barren, quote-unquote, due to never knowing a man, Yahweh brought about a son, Jesus Christ, to lead and save his people. Just as Yahweh ended Israel's affliction of slavery, slavery and and at Hannah's affliction of barrenness. So Jesus, Yahweh in the flesh, God himself come to earth, ends our affliction of slavery to sin, spiritual barrenness, and eternal death. Through an ordinary woman, God brings about the extraordinary salvation of his people. Where Moses, Samuel, and the soon-to-be-anointed king, Saul and David, and Solomon and all the rest of them, failed, Jesus fulfilled all the promises of God. He is the long-awaited king. Am I the only one geeking out about that? I just, to me, this is amazing because we tend to read the Bible and go, oh, this is nice. It's like, Ugh. no, 
this intends for us. This is why we read the Old Testament. It's for God to go, this is not enough. You need more than this human being. What you need is me. And as post-cross for us today, we look at this, we read this, and it points us to Christ. For them, it was like, oh, I mean, Samuel. Remember last week we talked about how there was all these, oh, this is the guy, this is the guy. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, David's awesome, a man after God's own heart, and then he sees Bathsheba, and it's all over. Like, there's, there's just this built, in, an, built anticipation. Where is the Messiah? Where is this long-awaited king? When is God going to save his people? And finally, generations later, Jesus comes. And 2,000 years later, we are sitting in Maple Grove, Minnesota, reading his word, and we're able to say, Christ is his Messiah. This all points to him. This doesn't point to me. This doesn't point to how I pray. But those are all important and they're nice. But ultimately, if we miss Christ in this, we've missed the entire message of what God is trying to say to his people. Do you know the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Do you know Yahweh? 1 Samuel 1 reveals to us that God remembers and saves those who know him. Moses knew God, and he got to see his glory like no one else did. Hannah knew Yahweh, and he answered her prayer, and through her brought about a man who would lead and anoint the new king. Through Mary... She knew the Lord and through her brought the Savior and protector of God's people, Jesus Christ. If we know Christ, then we know Yahweh, which would be heresy in the time of the Old Testament to say that I know Yahweh intimately intimately as a human being. I have not only seen his glory, but his glory lives within me. I am the temple of God. His presence is right here, and he has revealed himself to me. And it points us to Christ, the Savior. If we know him, then we know the salvation that he gives and the honor that he brings to his people. And it all drives us to glorify and honor him for his faithfulness. So that we become a type of Christ, pointing people to Him. If we're pointing people to us, we are condemning people to eternity in hell. But if we point them to Christ and they believe, then they are saved. It all drives us to glorify Him. It all drives us to give Him the honor And we can't put it under the disguise of, well, I'm honoring God by honoring myself. No, that's not the way it works. Do not be like the sons of Eli, who did not know God and eventually paid the price uh, for their rejection of God with their lives. Eli's sons were priests. They attended church every single day. Way better than any of us. And yet, they never knew the God that they were 
supposedly priests of. And yet this unknown woman knew God. Nothing special about her. Eli's sons could not claim ignorance of the truth. They heard it every day. They were trained in it. They knew and they rejected. And so it is for us today that if we have heard the truth of the gospel message this morning, let me just say, we have heard the truth of the gospel message this morning. Salvation from the wrath of God for our sinful rebellion against Him and the forgiveness of those sins is found only through His Son, Jesus Christ. Only through the King. Only through the Messiah. The only Messiah. The Bible says, believe with your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Confess that He is Yahweh. And you will be saved. So as an unbeliever, you have no excuse now. You've heard the truth and you will be held accountable for it. And as a believer, if we have done this, then we have no excuse not to obey it. The Bible talks about how does our faith grow? This is in Romans. How does our faith grow? It's by the hearing of the gospel message. If the gospel message becomes old and trite to us as God's people, our hearts are wrong and they need to be changed. We're still maybe still God's people, but we've lost, we've lost our first love. How do we grow in our faith as God's people? It's constantly to be reminded of the gospel, the Messiah, the truth. Because without him, what are we? We're Eli's sons. That's what we are. As God's people, we, may we be a type of Christ. May we reflect the truth of the gospel message in every part of our lives. May we be like Hannah in faithfulness, knowing who we can talk to, not for her glory, but for his. And whatever the answer to our prayers may be that he gives to us a yes or a no, we will give glory and honor to him and to him alone. And may those who hear this morning the gospel message we believe, be saved, and give glory to God, not ourselves. Father, I pray that as we just ruminate over this, this chapter, over this next week, Father, that, oh man, that you would just bring it to our souls and remind us who we are as your people, that this word uh, that you brought to us would not fall on deaf ears, that that we would not, as your people, be like a man who walks into a bathroom, sees a mirror, and forgets what he looks like as soon as he walks out. Father, may that not be true for us. We are your people. And may you constantly be provoking amazement from us as to how you would love not just a, a sinner like me and save me, but that you would continue to love me, that you would sacrifice yourself for me. And as I read, as we read your Bible and as your word, Father, may you remind us this all points to you, not to us. 
that whatever benefits we receive out of it are the cherries on top of, of the glory and the greatness and the honor and the praise that it should bring us as your people to. And I ask, Father, that whoever is here, whoever is hearing this message, your message, Father, that they would believe, they would believe in your Son, that they would be saved, and, Father, that they would give you the glory through their life. We ask this. We beg of this, Father, for your sake. Amen. Would you stand? We'll sing our final song.